0: When addiction is talked about in the church, it is so easy to default to the plague of pornography. However, so many are struggling with substance abuse such as alcohol, narcotics, methamphetamines, fentanyl, and more intense substances. And these aren't issues for only those we might label as druggies who are in and out of jail. These issues impact those who appear most normal at church. Not to mention the domino effect that a substance abuse addiction can have on a marriage, family and even a ward. That's why we've put together the Recovering Saints virtual conference where we have 20 plus authors, medical doctors, addiction specialists and even those in recovery sharing their perspectives in order to help us as Latter-day Saint leaders be better prepared to minister to those suffering through and overcoming addiction. Recovery is real even for those considered too far gone. Help is available and we can assist those struggling to find it. To see all the details of the Recovering Saints virtual conference and to register to attend virtually for free, find the link in the show notes or visit LeadingSaints.org Recovering. Hey, if you're a newbie to Leading Saints, it's important that you know, what is this Leading Saints thing? Well, Leading Saints is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And the way we do that is through content creation. So we have this phenomenal podcast, we have a newsletter, we have virtual conferences, so much more. Articles on our website. I mean, I could go on and on, right? (laughs) And we encourage you to uh, jump in, check out Leading Saints, uh, go to the search bar at leadingsaints.org and and type in some topics and see what pops up. We're just glad you're here to join us. So if you're listening to this podcast episode, the day that it was published, it should be July 29th. Now we are in the middle of a phenomenal virtual conference that's happening online right now. And this episode you're about to hear is actually one of the Presentations that's being published today as part of the virtual conference. Now, not only should you listen to this, but you should head on over to leading saints.org slash recovering and make sure you jump in, register for this virtual conference, because there's still time to listen to all the phenomenal presentations that are part of this uh, virtual conference. And after listening to this episode, you'll just understand how awesome this content is going to be. In this episode, we talk with Ben Irwin, who is actually the program manager of all things family services at the church, and that includes the Addiction Recovery Program. And in this episode, I talk with uh, Ben about not only family services in general and the resource it can be to leaders, but also the Addiction Recovery Program and how leaders can best leverage this remarkable program that the church has given to us that is just such a blessing, has blessed thousands of lives across the world. And so how what do leaders need to know? How can they leverage it? How can they help people? And it's a phenomenal discussion. And again, just one of many presentations happening during the virtual conference called Recovering Saints. You got to be a part of it. This is a great way to support leading saints as we do a deep dive into one specific topic. And this is an important topic of addiction recovery and administering to people who are striving to overcome an addiction. So go to leadingsaints.org slash recovering for all the details and how to register for free, but for now, let's jump in to this conversation with Ben Irwin, Family Services Program Manager. Another session of the Recovering Saints virtual conference, and today I have the opportunity to be joined by Dr. Benjamin Irwin. How are you? Doing great, Kurt. Thanks for having me. can exactly. we go? What am I calling you? Ben, Benjamin, doctor? Me, you, no, no, no. Just call me Ben. Just call me Ben. Okay, cool. Nice. Now, I'm really excited to get connected with you. You are a, a project manager at uh, Family Services. Is that uh, how, how do you frame your job? Or when people ask you what you do for work, what do you tell
1: them? Yeah, well, I'm a therapist by trade. And so when I say I'm a therapist, they get that odd look in their eyes and say, are you analyzing me? And I say, yes, I know I'm not. But right now, I'm more of an administrative role. I'm a program manager for the addiction recovery program for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I help oversee the worldwide 12-step program that the church sponsors to help people find recovery through the Savior, Jesus Christ.
0: That's cool. So give us a little bit more detail on your, your education background, because you got a PhD. Uh, was the plan to, to teach at a university or what uh, led you down the path of uh, getting a PhD?
1: Yeah. Well, so I, the, the prophet of my teenage years was President Hinckley, and he always just drove home, get all the education you can. And so I uh, actually tried many different career paths. I wanted to be a seminary teacher, and that didn't work out. I found myself teaching English to at-risk youth in North LA County and coaching football, but that didn't work wow. out. But my wife, when I proposed, she had just been accepted to the University of Hawaii in a graduate program. And so after we were married, the selfless individual that I am, I, I gave up my life here on the mainland to support my wife's educational pursuits, and I moved Hawaii. And uh, <laughs> while I was there, I fell into a master's program in counseling and just loved it, loved it. Hmm. But I just, I, struggled. I, I still remember I had one client that I struggled with. and My supervisor didn't really know what to do, and I just thought, I need more training. And then I had that goal with President Hinkley. His his teachings to get more education, so I wanted to go, but I didn't necessarily know if I wanted to go in academics or I wanted to help people. You know, you kind of have to feel things out as you go, and that's kind of what I did. I I went into it thinking maybe I could you know be a researcher or or teach at a university, but really my internship, my very first internship was with Family Services, and I just fell in love with it. And Mm. uh, my very first job after after graduate school is with Family Services. I've never looked back. I love it. I have taught part-time here and there at the odd university and job, but I love what I do. Yeah. Love yeah. what I do.
0: And then as, as part of your role there, I mean, do you, do you still meet with uh, therapist clients and have that in exchange? Yeah. I mean, even
1: though I'm a, an administrator mostly and doing projects and other things, I'm still a therapist. So yeah. I, they've given me permission. I have room for three clients a week. And so I I carve out just one little afternoon where I get to still be with people and help them. And I could never not do that. That's just not part, part of my makeup right now. So I'm grateful I have that opportunity to continue that that clinical work. That's cool. All
0: right. Well, I, I know you've prepared a great presentation for us. So I'll uh, turn the time over to you and then uh, come back on the end and we'll do some QA. So.
1: Sounds great. Sounds great. Well, again, just I'm very humble, but uh, very grateful to be here. I love helping people find recovery and helping them find hope. Um, As I kind of mentioned, when people find out I'm a therapist, they give me some weird looks (laughs) for a variety of reasons. But one thing I commonly get asked is this, Ben, do you really, do you like your job? I mean, isn't it kind of hard? Don't you walk through really hard and painful things with folks? And doesn't that kind of get you down? Isn't it kind of a sad or really heavy job emotionally? Doesn't it take a toll on you? Some form of question, That that's the main question, but some form of that I get asked frequently. And I do admit, like I do walk through the darkness with my clients, I go hand in hand, arm in arm with them, but we don't stay there. I watch them keep moving uh, toward the light. I watch their lives change. I watch them heal and grow. I watch them come into the savior and I get a front row seat. It's the best job ever. And so while yes, at times it's hard and I cry with those I work with, I also cry tears of happiness and joy with them as well as they accomplish their goals, as they move forward. And it gives me so much hope. It's enabled me to be a, very much a, an optimist, very much so, so. And this piece of finding hope and healing, I can't think of a better program that encapsulates that, demonstrates that than the addiction recovery program or other 12-step fellowships. And that's one thing I really wanted to talk about today is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints addiction recovery program. Uh, so I kind of want to give you a little start off with a little history about this, but then also talk about some of the practical helps for you as church leaders that, that you know, you can use to help those you minister to. But I want to give a little history. The addiction recovery program came about because there's a strong tie-in with 12-step, like Alcoholics Anonymous. Dr. Bob and Bill W., who created the 12 Steps, they were Christian and they were both suffering from alcoholism. And they said, can we get sober by turning to the Bible? And so they they studied, they started studying the New Testament and really came up with 12 principles. And it doesn't say this necessarily in the big book, but this is my take on it. This is the, the book of Irwin, chapter four, verse three, very apocryphal. <clears throat> you got to be careful, but they, the gospel teaches us principles, but it doesn't necessarily tell us how. It's up for it's up to us to apply the principles we learn. And so, if you were to ask the question, what are the most important gospel doctrines and principles to help someone recover and repent or change from addiction? I would suggest the answer to that is the 12 steps. But the specific application is to addiction. While we all, you know, all of us repent, all of us strive to come under the Savior and change and be better, we find our different tools or things that really help us, different ways to apply those doctrines. The 12 steps really are, how do I apply those key principles and help me repent, help me change, help me access the power of Jesus Christ and his atonement, specifically applied to addictive and compulsive behaviors. And so in the late 70s and early 80s, a lot of members who struggled with alcoholism or other addictions were attending AA, and we saw this trend where they went to their priesthood leaders and said, I, can, I, can I have a 12-step meeting in the church? I mean, I love my fellowship, but a lot of people there drink and smoke and they or, uh, drink coffee. They smoke cigarettes. They swear their language is a little salty, and I just miss the spirit. Can, can There's a lot of, you know, fellow members who attend these meetings. Can we just meet at the church? And that's where the, the Addiction Recovery Program was born. It has just steamrolled and, and gained momentum where we now serve many members. I think last year we had 400,000 seats filled and I believe we're in 34 countries right now. At any given time, there are 2,500 meetings you can attend that go on every week across the globe. And so it's, it's very much a great resource. Some may say, wow, I didn't know. I mean, especially people outside the church may suggest, I thought you guys have the word of wisdom. Don't I thought you don't drink and don't smoke. Um, you, you don't do addictive behaviors. And I'm sure if you're a leader within the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints, you know that while while we have commandments and we have standards that point us towards the Savior and help us have joy and protect us, that we all struggle. We all struggle with things and that, that in these, the last days, many of us are losing our way in the maze and we are hurting. We need help. And so the, I think the the program and the number of participants that come just highlight that, highlight the need. And again, I think I'm probably preaching to the choir uh, that there's a need, not just for addictive compulsive behaviors, the resource for that, but for all things. There's so many things. And even the saints of God are not getting through unscathed by the last days. So, but I kind of want that, to, that's kind of a history. That's kind of an overview. I kind of want to now to dive into more about the program, but also some more practical resources. So I frequently get contacted by a variety of church leaders or uh, called in to consult or or help with a a variety of situations, all the way from Abu Dhabi in the Middle East to Lebanon, Pennsylvania, to Salt Lake City. And a lot of times, one of the first questions a church leader has is, hey, here's a situation with my member. What do I do? What help do I have? And uh, probably the first thing that I will tell them isn't necessarily the, the addiction recovery program. The very first thing I will say is Bishop, city president, state president, whoever it may be. Uh, did you know that your local family services therapist manager that they are there to assist you and help you? what our primary job at family services is not to provide counseling. It, it certainly is a byproduct of and something very helpful, but our primary duty is to assist church leaders to be a resource in the Lord's storehouse that they can draw upon and use. I'd like to show our um, resource guide for church leaders. Pull it up here. I'm sure Kurt's going to show it right here. This is kind of a guide, and it kind of highlights all all the things that we can do to help you, that family services can do to assist you as a church leader. And the very first thing is consultation services. That's the very first thing. And so at any time regarding any issue— you can reach out to a local family services therapist manager and for free at no cost just say hey can we counsel together i've got this member i've got this issue and we will just sit down and talk with you and make a plan this is our primary job this is what we love to do there are many stories i have i just had a church leader and i talked the other day he's got a member of his of that he's responsible for and he had some significant concerns, and we kind of went through the history. And I start as part of what we do in consultation is it is not our job to tell church leaders what to do, but we take this stance that good information precedes good inspiration. So our job is to kind of help see things from maybe a, a therapeutic point of view or a social emotional point of view. And hopefully in that discussion, will trigger some insight. So the, this church leader was talking about this member, and I just started asking questions. And I started to identify some things that I saw as a therapist. I highlighted the potential of maybe another mental health issue that the priest leader wasn't necessarily aware of and how that would impact the course of action. And we just counseled together. I just kept bringing up things and pointing things. And of course, the priest leader asked me, well, what do you recommend? And I well, certainly was honest and, and shared with my thoughts and views. But at the end, the, the priest leader said, thanks. I feel like I have a good plan. I have a good perspective. And they were able to go forth with a lot more confidence <laughs> but also a spiritual reassurance, the spirit of witness to them that, yeah, this is now the right path. And I think for me, that's probably the the greatest benefit consultation from my point of view, is that through counseling together and collaborating, priesthood leaders, church leaders can use their priesthood keys or delegated priesthood authority to really get a confirmation of what the Lord would have them do you know church leaders I mean we all serve I'm a therapist but I might be called as a word clerk and I've got no accounting or or financial skill set but we are all called in the Lord's kingdom to do assignments of which we may not have a lot of skills and as a bishop as a branch president as a relief society or eldest quorum president you know one of the major issues facing saints are mental health social emotional issues and the good news is you don't have to be a therapist you don't have to. You don't have to have that clinical background. But that's where we, as family service, come in to help. We just want to be there for you and assist you. Kurt, as I'm talking about this, especially around consultation, if you could kind of give a voice to maybe some of the the audience or people who would be watching this, what questions or comments would you have as I'm talking about consultation and, and consultation services?
0: Yeah, th- this is really fascinating because, and I'm just going off my own experience because typically the the situation is someone comes in and there's obvious, you know, it's maybe a. A situation like addiction that's sort of way above my pay grade as a bishop yeah. and so i'm like okay this individual needs help and so we sometimes as priesthood leaders will like prescribe family services like well you go down and you know call family services you go talk with them and then off they go you know with a phone number in hand and then they I hopefully connect, you know, with the therapist and they go meet with the therapist and then they're back in the bishop's office maybe a couple of weeks later. And it's like, well, how'd it go? Right. And so there's this sort of this disconnect, you know, obviously with the the right procedures and protocols with giving permission of, you know, those appointments, sometimes, you know, the bishop may reach out and discuss with the therapist what's going on, get, Yes. get advice yeah. both ways from a spiritual you know, perspective, to from a therapist perspective, and whatnot. And so this idea of like consultation is really interesting. And so basically what you're saying is regardless if priest or leader refers somebody for therapy, they can call family services and say, hey, can I just talk through some things with you? Is that the idea?
1: Yeah, exactly. That, that's exactly right. So oftentimes through that consultation, they will refer their member to therapy. They will refer them to family services. But the difference is instead of just kind of having you I love the word you use, disconnect. Instead of saying here's the number, and they come back a few weeks later, you're not sure what's going on. Consultation, especially up front, we have a plan, we have a shared vision, you know, the priestly or have a lot more ideas of what to do, what they can do as kind of the spiritual ministry. You know, a lot of times in our culture, we assume the bishop is the sheriff, the mayor, and the therapist of the ward family, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they expect to wear all these hats, but they don't. And sometimes it's, I can't tell you how many times the bishop has just said, thank you. I feel like I don't have to be the therapist anymore. I don't have to take this role because it's not my job. Mm-hmm. My job is to be a judge in Israel, the, the father of the ward, to, to make sure they have faith and they know that they're loved by the Savior. And I don't have to fix their problems. And yes, Bishop, you don't. Here are the things yeah. you can do. Here's the things they can do. And here's the things a mental health professional can do. Just that that we're all part of the same team. Like it's kind of a shared treatment team approach. And it it changes everything. It's so, so helpful. Yeah.
0: And so any advice on, well, so there is situations where a bishop or a priest leader may call in and just say, someone's dealing with addiction. Can I just get your perspective on what this process looks like, even if they're not maybe officially meeting with a, a therapist, right? Yeah, sure. Sometimes, you know,
1: priests. well, all church leaders have just so much time and sometimes they don't necessarily want to consult. They just want, hey, can you help? And in those situations, yeah, we'll say, hey, we've got this member with addiction and here's what we would do. Here's what mm-hmm. we would do. Yeah. Uh,
0: and would you say there's, there's uh, sometimes a misunderstanding of the role of family services? Because yeah. the way you frame it is that, this was created to assist leaders. We often see it as like, oh, this is just the the church's therapist, you know, therapy business. And we'll send people there because we at least we know they'll get a, a faithful Latter-day Saint, you know, therapist or whatnot. So like for the record, like how would you best frame the purpose of family services?
1: Yes. It's right here at the top of my church leader resource guide. Family services assists leaders. To help members develop emotional self reliance and overcome obstacles to making and keeping sacred covenants. Mm. That is our mission statement. Now, yeah, notice it's not to provide all mental health services to entire worldwide church membership. Mm. It is to assist leaders. Yeah. That is our whole goal. So, consultation is right at the forefront. And yes, I understand, you know, historically, that's been, there's been a lot of misunderstanding, folks just assume, oh, that's just the mental health arm of the church. Yeah. Certainly we do do therapy because that comes out of this consultation. There, There is a, a significant need, but that's not our primary duty. And that's what I yeah. find is most helpful. One, because there's such a, a strong misunderstanding or historical like artifact of this is what we do, this is only what we do. But also, it, there's like I feel like so many leaders miss an opportunity to get so much more help and assistance and they just don't know about it. And that makes me sad. It's I'm on. Yeah.
0: yeah. So along that that same vein what would how would you respond to a leader that may say well I don't really use family services because I'm there's not like a location near me I'm sort of in a, a remote part of the country or even in a different country where family services isn't available so I don't even worry about using family services as a resource how would you respond
1: I'd say great Bishop what resources do you have do you need us to help you find additional resources so mm-hmm. our staff across like so I was one of my previous assignments was I was the manager of the Sandy office. I covered four coordinating councils and like 46 stakes. There, there's no way I can provide resources, but I knew a lot of the community resources in the community. I knew a lot of therapists, programs. And so if Bishop called and said, even in Salt Lake, as opposed to Lebanon, Pennsylvania, I'd say, great, Bishop. You know, our members are self-reliant. They're, they're finding resources that they need. And if a Bishop isn't worried about using us for therapy, great, and I'd say, you know, you don't have to, but please just know, I, I, family services is a, we occupy a little cubicle on the, 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 a shelf in the Lord's storehouse. And if you ever need us just to talk things through, just to answer a question, we'll be there for you. A lot of times church leaders will come and uh, they'll ask a question and we aren't the right fit. Family services, you know, we do a certain, a few things really, really well, but there's other things we don't do well. And so mm-hmm. in this consultation, the decided plan of action will be, let's find another therapist or program in the community that would really fit that of course would completely support and espouse gospel doctrine and and support their faith and so sometimes you know the bishop will well how am i going to find someone who's trained in domestic violence and say no, no no we've got that that's again part of our job in order to be good consultants we need to know what the resources are in the areas we serve and so we very much network and get out in the community so this bishop came and said, I don't use family service. I said, great. You know, you don't have to. We, we, I just want to know, how can I help? How can I help consult? What resources maybe do you need more? And, and just yeah. have to start from there.
0: Yeah. And what I'm learning here is, again, it's so easy to classify family services as this is a, a therapy service. And mm-hmm. if it's not my area, I can't use it. But Obviously, you may be in a part where, may, yeah, maybe a family service therapist isn't readily available in your area, but you can still call family services and say, "Hey, I got this member meeting with this therapist. It seems a little weird to me. Here's sort of the advice and things that this member is getting. Like, what advice do you have, right?" And, th- and then you you can walk them through maybe how to guide that member or find better therapists in your area or whatnot. Absolutely,
1: the church has actually come out with several articles about. You know, how do one, when do I need therapy? But then two, how do I choose a good therapist? Yeah. Um, and so we, we can highlight those resources as well. Another thought that just came to me is an unintended blessing of COVID is telehealth. Mm, and yeah. so many of our family services staff now have such a wide reach. Whereas before, especially outside of, of major population centers of members of the church, they, they were confined to 20 minutes. You know, if, if you're outside at 20 minutes, great. Some you know, die hard people would come maybe an hour, hour. I've even heard of two hours one way to come for therapy. I was like, "Holy cow!" But now things jump on Zoom wherever they are. Yeah, <laughs> in cool. essence, yeah, in essence, you know, family services is available to anyone anywhere. But again, we can't meet the needs of everyone everywhere. So it, it highlights the need for good consultation to use those resources because there are so many great therapists who do not work for family services. There are incredible, faithful members of the church. Who have dedicated their lives to this, this, to therapy and helping others. And uh, oh my gosh, it would be a travesty if, if leaders only used family services. <laughs> yeah. it, it would yeah, be that's terrible. to hear. <laughs> It'd be terrible. Yeah,
0: I, I remember during my time as a bishop, I, you know, had a, a variety of other therapists that I would refer to, many of which had, you know, maybe a few years in their history working for family services, but now had their own practice and whatnot. And they were, they're they were a great resource. So
1: absolutely. There, there's so many, so many great people out there. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: Well, that's really helpful. And so, if somebody wants to just reach out and and just get some perspective with family services, is there a main number they call, or how would the what's the best way to reach out?
1: Uh, best way to reach out is go to CDAL, the Church Directory of Leadership. Okay. So if I'm a bishop. I just go to my own unit in the Church Directory of Leadership, and it'll say associate organizations. Usually, you have to go through the stake. I think you go to parent organizations through the stake, and once you click on the stake, it'll say associated organizations, and we're at the bottom because we're under welfare with a W, Don't look for F, look for welfare. It'll say welfare, and it'll say family services. And you click on that, and it will show all the staff members uh, in your area, the office number, but our cell phone numbers. Okay. uh, and you are welcome to contact us, however is best for you, a text, an email, a call the office, or a, it doesn't matter. We, mm-hmm. we, we want to make it as easy as possible. But that way you don't have to call Salt Lake and get rerouted and maybe leave a message. You can call directly the person in your community that is best equipped to serve you, right directly.
0: Yeah. And so every unit in the church, even a, a bishop in Mozambique can go there. There's going to be some reference to resource regardless of where they're at in the church yeah. through the CEDAW, right? Yes, exactly. Awesome, awesome. That's really helpful. And and, you know, again, these are those little things that you know you think you should know, but you just miss them. You know, so.
1: Hey, no, 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 no. And with the constant turnover of leadership, it's it's a perpetual, you know, challenge to just try to try to help people know. (laughs) Yeah. So. Okay, great. You want to keep
0: going, and I'll uh, come back with some questions later.
1: Please, like I love this because I'll I'll get on a soapbox, and you'll probably have some. (laughs) ideas or questions. So I'll pause so we can have this exchange. I think it'll be really helpful for the audience. uh, So, okay. That's the main thing I want to share with you. Now in this resource guide or this, uh, yeah, for leaders, the next thing we say, I mean, we do do counseling, but right here it says addictive or compulsive behaviors. Family services helps individuals and families address pornography use and other compulsive or addictive behaviors through consultation, counseling, support groups, and treatment groups. Healing Through the Savior, the Addiction Recovery Program support groups are available for individuals who experience compulsive or addictive behaviors, including the use of pornography, drugs, or alcohol. And then it shows the website. Here is the website for the Addiction Recovery Program. We're just clicking it here, and it it brings you to a map. So I kind of wanted, again, to kind of highlight this and overview it, but tell you what it is first, and then give you some ideas of maybe how it might be helpful to use. Okay. So again, the, the Addiction Recovery Program is sponsored by local leaders. For a meeting to, to happen in, in any city, a state president must request a meeting. So even though Family Services administers the program, it is requested by local leaders. So if there's not a meeting in your area, that's fine. Just talk to your state president. He'll reach out to us and we'll get one, we'll get one up and running. But but when I come to this main website, I see this interactive map of all the meetings that have been requested by precinct leaders. And as you can see, I'm just scrolling about from Utah. But here's the United States and they're they're all over. They are all over. So let's say, Kurt, pick pick a state for me. Pick anywhere.
0: Doesn't matter. Let's go with uh, I start my mission in uh, Sacramento. I love
1: it. So I could either scroll in with the map or I can just search up here in the, the bar and Sacramento. So we're gonna go to Sacramento. Here's Sacramento, and all of a sudden I have a visual representation of meetings right here, but then I'm also going to get a list on the left side of specific meetings. And if I scroll out a little bit, now some of these symbols are, I see a phone and that's, we don't have a good symbol for Zoom yet. So that that's a virtual meeting. There is a virtual meeting right here in North Sacramento that people can join online at any time. The little two, you know, silhouettes of people are an in-person meeting. The list will pop up and give us more information, but the other means within this, I think it's like a five mile square. I think that's the standard default area that it just starts to But within five miles of the city center of Sacramento, we have seven addiction recovery program meetings. And so we can pick on one. Here's the Sacramento, California East Stake Men's Pornography Addiction Meeting for men only. It's in person, it's in English, it's Thursday nights at 6.30 Pacific time. So, I click on this meeting. It'll show me where it's at. Now, it also shows that even though this is an in person meeting, they also have an ongoing virtual meeting at the same time. But it gives me a lot of information here. It says here's the address of where I go to, the the time, it's in the baptistry, the north end of the building. So, I know which door to go into. It'll give a contact number. This is for all the people who run the addiction recovery program, our church service missionaries, our senior service missionaries. And so, Elder Holiday is primarily helping facilitate this meeting. And if you have questions, you can call Elder Holiday. Hey, when is this meeting? Is it a good meeting? How many people come? You just ask any questions you have. Here's a point of contact for you. So if I'm a leader and I'm counseling together someone, and one of the first things, the the low-hanging fruit is, have you been to an additional recovery program meeting? And this is how we find where these meetings are with this map. Make sense? Great. Yeah, I love it. Great. Now, I kind of want to talk about what the meanings are. And if I come down here below the map, there's this carousel of individual things. This first section is just what is the program? It talks about the program as a whole. There is a little intro video, but it kind of gives you a little idea of the program overview. And then this next carousel button is what can I expect from attending a meeting? And this is so, this is I think another really good thing, because let's be honest, it's re- it takes a lot of courage for people to attend a meeting. It takes a lot of courage. And so people can be really scared or hesitant. There's so much shame with addiction, so much shame. And, and so we try to provide a little bit of information to try to help assuage that. And uh, I know that's not necessarily effective all the time, but th- this kind of gives you an idea. But if I were to paint a picture, if I were to walk into the addiction recovery program, I'd see this as, as a group of brothers and sisters, I like this picture, this group of brothers and sisters, you'll walk in and, and uh, he's kind of blurred out, but you'll see a missionary and they'll just warmly welcome you. They'll just put their arms or put their hand out to shake your hand and just say, thank you for coming. They might ask for your first name and your first name only. There is no embarrassment, no shame necessary. They are just so happy you're there. And you'll sit down in the circle and you'll start with an opening prayer. And then they'll read this statement, this confidentiality statement that kind of says, welcome to the Church of Jesus Christ the Latter-day Saints Addiction Recovery Program. We are a group of brothers and sisters who strive to find recovery through the Savior Jesus Christ. We maintain strict confidentiality. The things you see here and listen here and get to know here must remain here. And everyone commits to confidentiality so that anyone can go with complete anonymity and confidentiality to have a safe place to talk about addiction. In my position, we do a lot of, of research. And one thing we found is that members across the world really want more openness about addiction and a variety of other, other issues. More openness, less shame, more accessibility. I mean, we're, we're all struggling with so many things and why, let's just talk about it and help each other rather than, you know, fearing what people will think and secrecy. And, and in these meetings, the meetings of the Addiction Recovery Program, there is no safer space to talk almost always, even though it's really hard to go to that first meeting and you're so scared, when they go, it is such a relief. Because here you sit down and you don't have to say a word, you can just observe. So again, the meeting format is they'll welcome you, they'll say a prayer, they say this confidentiality statement, and then they'll read. There's a guidebook, kind of a workbook that talks about the 12 steps, and we'll read a little bit from it. And then we just open it up to sharing. Everyone can share. And then we close the meeting that's the entire meeting right there. We read and then we share, but you don't have to read and you don't have to share. They don't like, you know, it's your turn. Are you ready? And they don't, they just say, who would like to share? And it just go, it's very open. And sometimes people just come and listen, but almost always after that first experience of summing up enough courage to go into a meeting, I can't tell you how many people have said, I couldn't believe it. Here are people talking about their experiences with addiction, without shame, without fear of judgment, with acceptance and mutual support, and then almost always they'll say, "And I felt the spirit." And this this idea is like foreign to them. They feel like they're unworthy or they're broken, that they don't deserve the spirit, that they can't feel the spirit, and yet they come here to this meeting, and the spirit is there. It's like the Savior pours a bucket of love over everyone because He knows He knows how hard we're fighting, how hard we're striving, but they come away with a much different experience than what they had assumed they would have, again, of support, of love, of acceptance, and of openness. People are just talking about, about their issues and how do we get better. And it really is a powerful experience. I am only talking to you about this because that's the this format, but the most effective way I have found for people to know about this program is to simply attend a meeting. Oftentimes, I'm asked to train new general authorities. And before the Salt Lake Temple uh, was being uh, started this renovation, I would get them Thursdays. They'd go to Thursday morning with the First Presidency in Corbin 12 in the temple, and they'd get done about 11, and then I would take them to a meeting. I would get them for about two hours to train them on the addiction Recovery Program. And instead of talking to them like I am with you now, I simply would take them to a meeting, the Liberty Men's Pornography Meeting on 5th South and 5th East, Thursdays at noon. And they'd have this experience where they'd walk in and they themselves would feel of the meeting and know of the meeting. And so, as a church leader, if you have any questions, I mean, one thing is to come to this website and watch the video is great. But another thing is just attend a meeting. You can attend a meeting at any time and anywhere. The only thing I would suggest is maybe don't attend a meeting really close by to you. You never know who in your congregation is there already, and you just don't want to necessarily throw them off, right? Or likewise, you don't necessarily want to give them the wrong idea. So, with Zoom, with our online meetings, you can attend any meeting anywhere online. And so it's really easy, a very safe space. Just check one out. You see it for yourself. And again, that is the most effective means that I have found to really help people know what the meeting's about. So, Kurt, I'm just going to pause here. As, as I'm talking about this, maybe the structure and format of a meeting, any thoughts or questions that are coming up on your side?
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. A few things I'll bounce around. You, you said like a a state president must request a meeting to be held. And so what does that mean exactly? Like if a state president knows there's maybe not a meeting super close there, the area. So they want to, you know, make that happen. Do they need to get all certain infrastructure in place with people and callings or like, what does it mean to request a meeting?
1: He calls up family services and says, Hey, can I get an ARP meeting? And we'd say, yep. Nice. That's
0: it. And then, what happens typically after that, generally speaking, are, are like missionaries called by the church? By will he will he call missionaries or yeah. so
1: the logistics of that, yes, there will be discussion on who should run the meeting because typically we want two senior service missionaries and then what we call a facilitator, someone who's actually in recovery. They've used the 12 steps, they're in recovery, they're their kind of mentor and support others. So we kind of try to identify who in the state could do that. Now the stake president won't be requesting the first addiction recovery program meeting in the larger area. So there are already missionaries there. And sometimes a, an experienced missionary couple will can also come in and, and help run things in the stake. Um, but if they wanna do an in-person meeting, you know, we can talk to the stake president. Do you have anyone, any, is there a couple in your stake who could run this? If the stake president calls them, we do all the training. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyone can be a group leader. There is no specialized training, uh, skill requirements. Anyone can be a group leader and run an addiction recovery program meeting. Nice.
0: Is it so. happens sometimes that the missionary is also the facilitator if they're a recovering addict? Yeah. So a lot of times if a stake
1: president wants a meeting, he's been around, he knows who members in the stake are passionate yeah. or maybe who've shared their testimonies and he'll say, I got the perfect couple for you. And so, yeah, we, we can have someone share both roles, but we just try to keep it simple. We're there to assist and help train. If they identify someone who could serve, great. If not, we also have some resources we can try to plug and play uh, with existing group leaders. But all they have to say is, can I have a meeting? And we'll say, absolutely.
0: Yeah. And then I love the concept, and I preach this gospel a lot as far as a leader. Like the best advice, in my opinion, that a a brand new bishop could do is in the first six weeks or so, like go attend a meeting because you're going to be faced with, somebody coming in with this issue but oftentimes again we use it as like a prescription like you go to this mysterious meeting and it's supposed to fix you i don't know exactly what happens there right and so for a leader to go and just experience and understand the dynamic because that person's gonna be nervous you know you talk about the stigma around this like you just expect to walk in this room and start talking about this you know and they don't understand what it is so i just love that advice
1: well and and now let's take it one step further okay with the recent changes now, maybe it's not the bishop, the only shoe should go, but the release side yeah, really? president and the elders' quorum president. Yeah. So if this member is struggling, uh, you know, usually it'll come up in the context of confession. The bishop can then say, hey, you know what? I'm here for you. Let's go to a meeting and I'll go with you. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what? What if we ask President Frankham <laughs> or, yeah. or the release side president to go with you as well? Because as release side presidents and elders' presidents now have the primary responsibility to minister to yes. adults. A bishop doesn't have to carry this alone. Like he can get the whole word council out. Right. But yes. So a good technique, like I know from research that most people have heard of the program. They kind of know about it, but they don't know what it is and they don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. Okay, So knowing what it is, the best way is just to jump in and attend a meeting. How to use it is members are not going to want to go. They just, they're scared. They have so yeah. much shame and stigma. So. One of the first best practices is to offer to attend a meeting with them. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, you know what? Let's attend a meeting in Kansas City, Missouri t- tomorrow night, and I'll, I'll do it with you. Like, wait, we're in Sacramento. I know. Well, well we're going to join an online meeting hosted out of Kansas City. So mm-hmm. one, no, no one there will know us, but I'll go with you. And instantly, that makes it so much safer, right? All mm-hmm. of a sudden, those barriers... and. And you just say, I just want you to go one or two meetings. Let's just see what they're like. Let's just yeah. see. We'll attend. We'll just observe. And then we'll talk about it again. That That's a, such an easy invitation for someone to accept. A much easier invitation to accept as opposed to there's a meeting here in this building tomorrow night. I want you to go there. You'll be all alone. You will <laughs> see people who know you, but just this is part of your repentance. And you have to do it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, that's a much different invitation, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: No, so, yeah. I love that idea of using these virtual meetings, especially maybe in a different state, It's sort of a warm up. Like, let's just go understand the format and attend, you know? Yeah. Is there any, like, oftentimes I hear the advice, which I think is pretty good advice. Like, I think it's tempting for maybe if a leader goes, wh- whether they're going with somebody or not, maybe they just understand it. The temptation is to be like, oh, well, I'm Bishop Frankham. I'm just here visiting. Like, you want to separate yourself. Like, I don't want to be misunderstood here while I'm here. But oftentimes the advice is just to go use your first name and don't worry about what people think.
1: Exactly. In fact, when you go, you're invited to introduce yourself if you want, but by first name only. Yeah. So I'm Ben. And I remember Bishop Gerald Cosset, the presiding bishop of the church. Again, he wanted to know. And so we were talking and I invited him to go to a meeting. I did not go with him. He just showed up and he said, hi, my name's Gerald. (laughs) And A lot of people don't necessarily recognize, so he, he, he flew just fine. So yeah. yeah, go and just be yourself and participate. We're talking about principles of repentance. So whatever step we're on, let's say we're on step two, which is hope, just having hope and faith. You're going to hear all these people striving to have better hope in Jesus Christ. And even though you don't have an addiction, you can speak to that. You can say, here's how I'm facing, trying to increase my faith and have more hope for me. And it's yeah. just a powerful experience. So yeah, go as you are. Fully participate if you're willing, but you don't have to. You can just sit back and observe.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can easily say, I, "I'm just not sharing today," or "I'll pass," or whatever. Yeah. I, nobody yeah, thinks yeah. twice.
1: Now, there's another intermediary step. If for whatever reason the member you're ministering to does not accept that invitation, that's fine. Here's another invitation, but I don't. I don't want to do this one first. I'd rather do it second. The first best is to attend to me always. But if that's not an option or it's a little harder, then if you come back here to the Addiction Recovery Program website, and we scroll down here, we come over here, you kind of have to click this arrow. There are two resources that are really, really powerful. One are podcasts. I'm gonna click on this podcast link. What we did is we invited a whole bunch of people who attend meetings, who just attend meetings, and we said, will you attend just a meeting? Would you give us permission just to record the audio? And so we have these podcasts of real meetings. So right here, I can listen to a step three meeting on trust in God. And I click it and I'm I am listening to the actual meeting. These aren't actors. We didn't we just we wow. I, I, I was there and I'm like, I hope I hope this works well. Yeah you know, I was kinda of nervous but it turned out great. Turned out great. So um, nice. so that's it. That. Yeah if a member is a little hesitant then great. Hey how about just listen to this? Listen to this this week. And let's talk about this next week. And that way they can listen to this meeting and kind of get that experience.
0: Well, I was just going to say that because I know that many times these individuals, they're so buried in shame. Like it took every ounce of effort just to walk into the bishop's office, let alone now go do something, even if it's a virtual call. And so to say, okay, at least listen to this. And then let's just talk about it next time we meet, right? It's a good another
1: intermediary step. And even though they are shamed, if you just love them, you, you just have to say, I call it the pebble syndrome. So I've got I a rock from Mount Vesuvius. We went to Italy. I climbed Mount Vesuvius. We have the, I have this little rock. Oh, nice. Now this rock, if I hold it, it's very, very small, right? But if I bring it up right next to my eye, it's all I see. It's mm-hmm. all encompassing. And a lot of times addiction is like that for the person struggling with it. It manifests itself in shame, but they start to define themselves by it. They start to, this is all they see. And so one thing as a leader one thing you can help is to really try to foster a sense of their divine identity as a son or daughter of god to remind them of that that they are not defined by their trials or struggles to help them feel the love of god that no matter what he is there that you are there that the savior is there that's one thing that you can and most leaders are fantastic at this but again through the consultation process they're surprised that, wait, that's what I can focus on to really help this person with their addiction? Yeah, that's all you got to do. And yeah. I can do that. Yes, good, go, it Because we want to help remove the pebble syndrome from it, right? Yeah. So a podcast, they go and they'll feel the spirit, they will. But another tool is if, if I come back here to this carousel on the Addiction Recovery Program website and I click the more, there's these videos. Now, again, so what we've done here with these videos is we invited, we, we put out a call for invitations, a, re- a request for stories, of, and these are all actual people in the addiction recovery program who came forward and said, I'd like to share my story with the world. Again, we're trying to take away the stigma. We're trying to have it be a more open conversation, especially within the church, so they can watch these videos, and we have one per step, so they really kind of focus on that step, but it's, it's also about their story. And again, these are so powerful. They, they are some of our our most watched resources in the entire welfare department. So this is either the podcast or the story. These videos can be really powerful help to folks. If they're unsure, they've got one foot in and one foot out about participating in the program.
0: Yeah. I I love that because oftentimes the the first step of removing shame is just to realize, oh, I'm not alone. I'm not the only person that struggles with this. And so to see even videos of people you don't even know, it still helps, you know, and and there's such a spirit behind it.
1: Yes. Another thing a leader can do is we have the, this workbook. I click here and we've got the addiction recovery program guide. Here's a PDF. We got English. And then I think we're up to, I don't know, we've got a lot of languages. So whatever (laughs) language you're in, you can click it. And again, as a leader, you can just help them. If for whatever reason they don't want to attend a meeting, you can work through this guidebook with them. Mm Mm-hmm. Hey, let's do step one together. You know, let's read through it. So your job this week is to read through this. Here are some action steps, some practical things you can do. And then here's some study and understanding. Here's some quotes, some scriptures, and some questions that will really help you. So as a priesthood leader, I can come and work through this guide with my member as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's all there. And I know I always had a stack of, of the actual books see so that you can get through distribution and whatnot. And, and Yeah. Uh, Yes. I'm right there. So awesome. So what would you say? Cause oftentimes, you know, just like anything in the church, there's different people running it, different personalities and not all meetings are, are created equal. And so sometimes an individual may be listening to this and like, listen, Ben, I've been to all three meetings in my area. They just don't jive with me. I don't find them helpful. I just, you know, and, and sometimes people have a negative feeling about the addiction recovery program. Like how would you respond to that?
1: My job is to give them a toolbox and say, hey, look at this tool. This is a ball peen hammer. It does a great job. You want to try it out? And if they try it out and say, it is by any different tool. Then my job isn't to try to convince them to use the tool. My job is to try to find a different tool. Yeah. So sometimes, and I would say I am biased. I'll own my bias. But <laughs> most people don't have a negative experience with it. Yeah. Most people have a, a positive experience, but if they don't, then say, great, let's think of some other resources. And what we know is research shows that 12 step participation is one of the most effective empirically validated treatments for addiction, mm-hmm. period. So if they don't want this 12 step fellowship, great. Let's get them in a different one. I've got a close childhood friend. He went to ARP, it wasn't. It wasn't quite fitting for him, so he goes to AA and loves it. Yeah, and I'm so happy for him. He's sober, and so you know, it's, you just be mindful. But again, that's where this consultation piece can come in. Like as a priest leader or church leader, I refer this. It's not quite the right thing. One, I can talk to family services and say what's going on with this meeting. You know, maybe there's something issue that we could fix administratively. But, but also then the through a consultation, the family services pers- manager might say, oh. There are also four other meetings that they can go to that aren't family services. They aren't ARP. There are other twelve-step fellowships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we just we want to give them the right tool. If a ball peen hammer doesn't work, great. Let's get them a hacksaw.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. I mean, obviously, you showed how people can look up ARP resources in their area. But there's probably five other you know Christian churches that have their own meeting. You know, they're based on the same model. Then you know you go through AA or you know, there's so many options, and you know, you or you, there might be a, a sister that's struggling with pornography, but maybe there's only a men's only, you know, group in their area, so that may be. Well, do we start one in the meantime? Maybe we'll find one another one locally that's not, you know, our church's program, but nonetheless, let's just get you to a meeting and start the process, right?
1: Yes, because it's so helpful. It's so helpful. Yeah. Now, a couple things, really, really important. First. Sometimes when someone comes for addiction treatment, they need medical assistance. Hmm. Sending them to a 12-step meeting is a great first step, it's a great piece of it, but they may need a higher level of care. I have a member who's engaged in significant opioid abuse, even alcohol abuse or some other, I may need to detox and be watched over by a medical care professional, because if I stop, if I quit my addiction, it could threaten my life. Yeah. And so, again, it's so important that we consult with a leader if it's a a significant substance abuse issue. We really want to make sure they may need a a full assessment, like a a clinical assessment to see what level of care that is warranted, and they may need some additional services. A lot of times they'll go into a detox, they'll go into rehab to stabilize them, but then they they get out and they start attending group counseling and 12-step to really help them learn tools to stay sober. I know one of the most common addictive behaviors we have in the church's pornography. And that doesn't necessarily apply. But I just wanted to point that out. Just yeah. out
0: No, that's really important because yeah, they're in the middle of it. And then oftentimes, you know, they're coming out of, of uh, an intense rehab or a detox center. And then they're like, okay, I have some stability that I need to do something week to week or day to day. And then that's when the meeting would come in.
1: Or ironically, they think, well, I, I did my 28 days. I'm fixed now. And hey, I've got a story about a wagon driver. He, okay. he, he had a freight company and he would take freight over the mountain. And he ne- he needed a new wagon driver. And he had three applicants. And the first applicant came and said, uh, "Hey, I'm a good driver. In fact, I can go over the mountain and I can get to within two feet of the cliff." And the employer was pretty impressed. The second guy came and said, "Well, shoot, I can do better than that. I can get to within one foot of the cliff." And now, wow, the employer is very impressed now. So he turns to the third man and he's a little, you know, stoic. And says, "Well, I don't know about those two fellas, but..." I stay as far away from the cliff as I can. Now, guess who got the job? <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes when we, approach, when we approach addiction treatment, we want to do the bare minimum. Because of the shame, because of the stigma, because it's mm-hmm. just so hard, we think, just give me the tiniest piece. If that's enough, then that's all I'm doing. And sometimes maybe we need to sh- switch our outlook, our philosophy, and, and maybe it's best to try a lot of things and then take things off as we get solid recovery under us. Yeah.
0: So. That's really helpful. Any other, like, I'm sure you hear all sorts of misconceptions when it comes to the addiction recovery program or whatever, Any other debunks you want to offer? Just generally speaking.
1: I mean, we, we've covered uh, most of it. It's free. Okay. It's confidential. They can attend online. Like this sister. I love the example that you used about a sister who needs a pornography meeting. More and more sisters are caught and caught. And it's the shame is extraordinary for them. It's not just the regular shame, it's like this new level of shame because it's only supposed to be a man's problem. So we have a lot of online meetings where sisters can go and even though there's not a meeting in their community, they can connect far and wide. So there are lots of meetings, they're free, they're confidential and some people may say it's terrible or usually it's like this, if I have an addiction, I try to find recovery. I fight with all of my heart for recovery. And I try a thousand different things. And when I finally find something that works, I hold on to it with both hands and I shout it from the rooftops that I found it. I found the one and true living means to recovery. By default, all the other things that I've tried, oh, they don't work, they're terrible. I mean, <laughs> I have to rationalize why this one worked, right? And in my experience, it's not true. Yeah, There are so many good things out there. And just because one thing doesn't work for someone doesn't mean it won't work for someone else. That applies to ARP, but therapists and other programs, and just, we need to be a little careful. Whenever we're searching for a mental health solution, here's the crux of it. If I have a problem, I'm going to try to find the very best therapist. Because I'm scared that they might be, you know, a little loony or a little little messed (laughs) up in the head, right? Yeah. I'm very much afraid that they will not support me in my faith. I want to make sure I have someone who's a member who, you know, but I want someone who's good because if I don't have someone who's good, I'm not going to get better. In other words, whether or not I get better is dependent upon the therapist or the program. Research shows that that is absolutely not true. Mm. The most important factor for someone to get better has everything to do with themselves. Their own strengths, talents, motivation, effort contributes to 40% of the treatment outcome variance. Mm. The largest factor. The model or program is only 15%. I mean, there's other factors, but we have to stop prescribing or looking to things that they will help and not take the responsibility on us. I mean, in another sense, All real permanent change comes from the Savior, not from a program, not from a certain program or a certain meeting. It comes from the Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we turn to him, he will give us strength. He will help us change. He will heal us. Now, sometimes we have to, well, not have to, but we find help and assistance through science, through secular, through programs, through therapists, and they're so helpful. We need those. But the most important thing. And the only thing we ever really need is our savior, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad you, you highlight that because I think leaders may run into this dynamic. I remember, you know, I, I've attended several like addiction conferences, whether it's related to pornography or else elsewhere. And oftentimes at conferences, they'll have, you know, booths and at these booths, there's these different authors or therapists or programs. And you go, I just mentioned to one of my friends who's uh, in recovery. And I'm just like, it's weird. Like every table acts like they have the answer, like they've cracked the code, right? And maybe they have a little bit, but and even some go to the the point of disparaging, you know, whether it's ARP or other efforts. And it's sort of like, wait a minute, like you know, offer what you have to offer. But there's not one program or one thing that perfectly works for everybody, right? And so I think as a leader, it's important to just be aware of that, right? There's different approaches, and uh, and some work better for others, but there's no clear like formula that just yeah. will turn this around overnight. Right.
1: There's no one and true living <laughs> program and all the rest <laughs> are. Well, I was going to say church of the devil. That's a little too strong. I don't want to <laughs> say it, but we, we fall in that mindset. Right. Uh, yeah. And that, that's not true. That's not true. Really yeah. quick. There are two other things I have to highlight really fast. Okay. Our mm-hmm. but When someone says I have an addiction, we rally the troops. We run to their side We just, we're there for them and we do a great job, but sometimes we forget their sweetheart. We forget their family. Addiction just does not just impact the individual. It impacts everyone around them. And so part of the addiction recovery program isn't just groups for individuals who need recovery for healing, but it's also, we also have the spouse and family support group. These are for spouses, for parents, for any loved ones. And this is where they find peace and healing their own personal peace and healing. This is not for them to fix their loved one. And that's a common misnomer. Like, oh, I'm gonna go to this meeting, they're gonna teach me how to fix you. No, that's, that's not <laughs> it. If the 12 steps answer the question, what are the most important gospel principles to bring about change and repentance from addiction? Spouse and family support is a different question. The answer to that question that this answers is, what are the most important principles and doctrines of the gospel to bring about peace, my personal peace and healing, irrespective of whether or not my loved one gets better, but from their addiction, how do I find peace and healing through the gospel? Yeah, Regardless of whether or not they get better. And that is a spouse and family support guide or a support group meetings and guide. It's the exact same system. You have a map of the same meetings, you have missionaries, it's the same format. We have a book. It's the exact same thing, just a different focus. And so if I'm a leader, I would absolutely, if if someone comes to me and says they're struggling with addiction, the very next thing I say, can we meet right now with your spouse? Can we meet right now with your parent? It's so, and they're like, no, I don't. The shame kicks in, They'll try, but it's so important. And if they say no, please don't. You say, well, that's okay. But guess what? They're suffering. They're hurting. And I just want to help them. Do you want to help them? And you should be asking that way. They're like, okay. And they come in (laughs) and it's just, it's so important.
0: It's so important. Yeah. Especially from a, a leadership perspective, the trap is, is that, you know, we've recognized the hurt that's maybe happening with their spouse or their family, whatnot, but it's naturally to go to this place of like, well, we know you're hurting now as their spouse, but let's just get him or her fixed. And then, then everything will be good again. Right. But that just doesn't, doesn't work like that.
1: Well, in common, that is one of the most common wrong beliefs that a spouse or parent has. Yeah. I've got all this angst and pain and if my loved one would only get recovery, then it would go away. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what happens? Their loved one gets recovery and guess what? They're still hurting and they yeah. don't know why. Yeah. Or they think that they think the only way I'm going to heal is if they get recovery and their spouse or, or child or whomever doesn't choose recovery, doesn't want to go there. And they think, well, then I'm doomed. And yet they go to these meetings and they find peace and they find healing. And it's like the greatest aha moment. I didn't cause it. I can't cure it and I can let it go. And they walk out saying, I'm okay. I can protect me and I can do what I need to, whether or not they find recovery. And it, you know, I, I mentioned that and a lot of spouse or family members think that's not right. You, there's no way. Like, and you just got to see it for yourself. But I really wanted to highlight that really fast that yeah. a big piece of this program is that last yeah. but not least here on my website, I'm just gonna click on it. It's uh, churchofjesuschrist.org. It's under study, under manuals, and we have what we call counseling resources. These are divided up into topics. And of course, we have one on addiction and we have one on pornography use and a spouse or same sex attraction, but support for spouses of pornography users. If I click on one of these counseling resources, it's meant to be a really quick, brief training. If I'm a leader, and I've got an appointment, my executive secretary said, hey, you've got an appointment in 10 minutes and it's about this issue. And you're like, I have never dealt with that. I have no clue what to do. This is your answer. This counselor resource, you come up here, here's a quick, here's seek to understand. Here's some questions you need to ask and that might really help you understand better the problem. Here are some ideas to help the individual, especially as a leader. Here's all the things you can do. Here's how to support the family. All these things you can think of resources, here are some other Warden stake resources you can use. Look, they have addiction recovery right there. And then here are all the policies and teachings. We've got scriptures. We've got handbook videos. And so if you only have five minutes, you can jump on to any one of these counseling resources and instantly get kind of at least a little bit of a head start. So you don't have to panic and spend the whole interview saying, Lord, help me. I don't know what to do. Yeah. yeah. Been there. <laughs> Right. And we all have, we all have, and that's good. We all need to say that prayer, but again, this is just kind of a, an underutilized resource to kind of just be there for if you need it on a variety of issues. Most of them mental health related, but employment and other welfare issues. So same type of attraction.
0: And anyway. Cool. That's really helpful. I wanted to ask you about the dynamic of youth. I think more youth are struggling with the, you know, compulsive use or addiction with the Pornography, and I know with youth, that's yes, you shouldn't yeah. go to addiction too quick. But and it maybe it's not as substance abuse and medications and alcohol maybe isn't as the typical scenario. But when it comes to the ARP meetings and youth, I mean, what's the general uh, guidance on that?
1: Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I forgot to mention that <laughs> the addiction recovery program is not for youth. Uh, only you have to be eighteen or older to attend. And now here's why: most youth are not addicted. So let's take the prominent issue of pornography. A parent discovers their son has been looking at porn a little bit and the first thing they think and the first thing their son thinks is, oh no, my secret's out and I'm addicted. That's kind of our default, but no, that's not true. President Oaks in an Enzyme article called Recovering from the Trap of Pornography in October of 2015 states there are four different levels of pornography use. One is just recreational, like inadvertent. I just, I stumbled across it. The second one is kind of recreational. I'm having fun. The third is I have a habit. I kind of, I don't do it a lot, but it's hard to say no. Sometimes I get triggered. I use it. But then the last one is compulsive. And in that article, President Oak says most youth aren't addicted. And that's why ARP is not the right choice for them. It's not. But even though we say, no, you can't use that, at least at family service, we say, but here's everything we can do. You don't necessarily need counseling but we have a lot of resources to kind of help. The two greatest things that I've seen parents do to help is they restrict access. They create a sanctuary. It's that you have, can you imagine an alcoholic if they tried to get better if they were living in a bar? Yeah, I mean, you got to get them out of the bar. So for an adolescent, unrestricted use of a phone is like living in a bar. We got to restrict access. And then the others that kind of have accountability system, I call it a red, yellow, green check-in system. The parents don't check in. It's the youth who checks in. And they just say, hey, today's a green day or yellow day. The youth win far more battles than they ever lose, right? So we, the pebble syndrome, all the green days helps us say, wow, I didn't really have a problem that much. But just if they have a way to talk about it and they restrict access, it can do a lot. But family service can help. If a leader has some issues with youth, there's lots of things. We have some individual counseling, some groups. We have some other things that we could do to help. But ARP
0: is not the right thing for them. Yeah, that's really helpful. And then I want to ask you, like, I know there's been, talk to me about the dynamic of uh, sponsors. And I know that maybe there's been a shift in that in the recent years, maybe clarify that.
1: Yes. So previously there was concerns about liability, but we've overcome them. And recently we've been able to formalize sponsors in the program. A sponsor is kind of like your own personal ministering brother or sister who's been there. They're in recovery. They've used the 12 steps. And so we encourage everyone who participates in the Dictionary recovery Program to find a sponsor. So they're in the meetings. You know, you can ask the missionaries to get you one, but that way you have someone to really help you work the steps, guide you through, answer any questions, be a support. Like at 2 a.m., when you are on the brink of falling off the cliff mm-hmm. and relapsing and destroying everything, you can call your sponsor. A lot of times, you know, those who struggle with addiction will say, hey, a well-meaning church leader will say, do you can call me anytime? And in the back it's of the me, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's true and we should yeah. say that, right? We sure, yeah. and we we generally mean that. And sometimes they take us up on it, right? but the the people I counsel with in the back of the mind that says, yeah, but bishop or but president, you don't really understand what it's like. And it's the wrong way to think, but it creates this internal barrier for them, this wall. But when they go to a meeting or they meet a sponsor and the sponsor shares their story, and says, this is where I was. And the person with addiction starts to think, holy cow, that's me. Then at 2 a.m., when they're thinking I should call someone, that irrational thought of they don't understand cannot be applied. And they think my sponsor will get it and I'm going to call. And so it's, it's so vital. It's so important to have a sponsor. And, and we absolutely use sponsors in the addiction recovery program and encourage everyone to, to use them.
0: Yeah. And I, just for from a leadership perspective, it's so it's so encouraging because instead of taking that on yourself and, okay, I've got to be your accountability partner. You got to call me and you're already meeting with maybe a few others that are calling you. And But instead to just shift to when you're meeting with that person, just saying, how's it going with your sponsor? Do you have a sponsor? Has it been helpful, right? And you can ask those questions rather than try and be the sponsor.
1: You do not have to wear not only the sheriff's hat, the mayor's <laughs> hat, the therapist's hat, but you absolutely don't have to wear the sponsor hat. So another best practice is if I'm a bishop or a, a member of the stake, I'm going to reach out and find those individuals in my ward or stake family who I can call to be a special minister, brother, or sister, or a a de facto sponsor. So when they're coming to me, a member's coming to me, I say, do I have your permission to reach out to this person? I'm not going to tell them about you, but I want to give you their name so you could reach out to them. Is that okay? If we identified people who could sponsor or minister with that skill set in our ward and stake families, it would do so much good so much good really would
0: and i think the temptation for a lot of those in recovery they've sort of been like they want to kind of get back to normal life i i handled that i don't need to go into any more meetings or i'm good now but for a bishop to say no actually we need you on this on the the battleground here because there's other people you could help and so please step forward and let's have you see if you can connect as a sponsor with somebody well and this
1: is actually the 12th step the 12th step reads after having an awakening through the atonement of Jesus Christ, I practice these principles I do and share this message with others. And most people in recovery, they find that it really helps to share the message, to share that not, you don't have to stand up in sacrament meeting. you know, you can have a boundary, you can have it be private and sacred, but as you serve others through the miraculous help you've received, it only strengthens your recovery and heals you even more. And that is a uh, the principle that's already incorporated into the 12 steps. Yeah.
0: Awesome, well we we covered a lot of ground here, Ben. This has been uh, this has been awesome. Any other concept that you want to make sure we cover before we wrap up, or did we do it?
1: No, just when in doubt, call family services. You ever have a question? Nice. Consult, consult because that's it's the nice. that'll probably be the most long lasting piece of wisdom that might do the most good of everything we've talked about today.
0: <laughs> nice. And then you mentioned that you can find that the directory of CEDOL, whatever CEDAL. that stands for, church, uh, directory. church directory of leaders, and then what, for that website stuff, obviously, all that stuff is in the app. Is it under the Life Help section? Is that it's the under gospel
1: the library? Section, under addiction. Uh, it'll, okay. say find a meeting, it'll take you straight to the website. But the URL is addictionrecovery.churchofjesuschrist.org.
0: Perfect. Awesome. Well, Ben, this has been great. The last question I have for you is if you're in a room full of leaders, bishops, relief society presidents, elders, Quorum presidents, what final encouragement would you give them around this topic?
1: Thank you for all that you're doing. I know that this call comes upon you and it's heavy and you do an incredible job, although sometimes it doesn't feel like it. And as you're trying to juggle your profession, your family, and then trying to assist everyone you have a responsibility for, it can seem so overwhelming. But I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all the good that you're doing. And please have hope and look up. And the Savior's with us, He knows. And he, he will take our meager efforts and make up for the difference, and then some, through the power of his atonement. I, I know that he lives. I know that he is the Christ, that he runs to us and suckers us according to our afflictions, whether that's addiction or whether that's the stress of trying to keep it all together as a leader. I know that he lives and he'll be there for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
0: other leaders that you may know who would really appreciate the perspectives that we discussed. And remember, visit LeadingSaints.org slash recovering or click the link in the show notes to attend this virtual conference for free. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. and When the declaration was made concerning the only true
1: and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.